It's your inside pass to everything Saints football. And the kick is good! We'll take you to places most fans never go. We'll watch from 60! To practice, to the sideline, to the locker room. Following every twist, turn, and touchdown of the 2022 season. That is going to be a touchdown! Taysom Hill! Taysom TD! Welcome to Inside Black and Gold. And that is going to be a touchdown again! And guess who? Mike Thomas! Now, here are your hosts, Steve Geller and Jeff Nowak. Oh, baby! We are into week 17 of Inside Black and Gold. Steve Geller along with Jeff Nowak coming off a big Christmas win over the Cleveland Browns in the chilly, frigid tundra of Cleveland. I've survived, made it back, thankfully, in time to spend the holiday with Christmas Day. And Jeff, I, I'm a sad I got, had to miss out on that post game because that, it just in a lot of good ways, it was, it was a really feel-good win for the team in tough conditions and not the greatest team in the world, but definitely one you thought had the advantage in the weather and being at home as well. Yeah, I guess first things first, do you have, have you counted your fingers and toes yet? Are they all there? Yeah, everything was good. Um, honestly, the worst part was the feet. Uh, that was the hardest part to keep warm. Thankfully, Will Lutz around the second quarter asked for uh, another heater on the sideline, and it was more directed towards his foot and kicking into the the you know the kicking net. So anytime that he was not in that area, I was definitely borrowing his kicking heater because it was pointed towards the ground. And like I said, the feet, even though I had boots, thermal socks, thermal pads for the soles and for your toes, Tootsies were definitely the coldest that day. How many pairs of socks did you wear? Uh, had regular pair of socks and then the thermal socks. So two pairs of socks, and I guess I needed a third. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's I've been wearing like sweatpants under jeans all week, so I uh, I can I can I can appreciate what you're going through because it was cold here too. I think you know you didn't experience the coldest bit of it probably, but I mean there was uh, some cold nights there. No, and glad that we're warming up this week and hopefully warming up with yeah. Saints football, baby. <laughs> well, right. Like if you had asked me like which was going to be the cold game of these two, I would have probably guessed Philly, but you know it's going to be sixty in Philly, so we'll see. But yeah, this is uh. We're going to get into this here. If I sound low energy, it's because I've been sick all week and falling downstairs and stuff. And so, uh, yeah, but just we're going to have to we're going to have to tough it out. But, you know, I'm just I'm just trying to be they have solidarity with the team because they're also probably dying of cold right now. I've probably had three quarters a cup of uh, pot of coffee, so I'm I'm rolling. <laughs> I did take my temperature and it was like low low so i don't know what that means maybe i'm dying you mean like yeah, like i don't have a fever if anything it's like the wrong direction you're going into rigor mortis yes you're turning into a zombie yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> like my i'm going into hypothermia or something but yeah like, like i was like oh maybe i'm sick i should take my temperature and i was like 96 i'm like well, that's not right and i tried to check it again it's like 96 I'm like oh that's that's something that's still probably bad well hopefully but, when you go back and take it again you're not like at 88 yeah well i think that then i would be dead um but yeah, so I think it just means I'm a cold person and I'm cold now. But all right, so we're going to talk about this cold game and we're going to pick studs and duds from the game on Sunday. Like Steve said, 17-10 win over the Browns. Nice to be talking about positive things. And, you know, that's one of the things that annoyed me after the Falcons game was like Saints fans being upset that the Saints won. And like you hear some of it again, but it's like, no, you want this team to be to be going in the right direction, right? Because this is not a team that's going to be torn down. If you think that like, this team's going to get torn down and next year you'll be seeing a different team. It's just not. So like you should be rooting for this team to be doing positive things at the end of the season. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to pick studs and duds, uh, more studs than duds for, for, for once. Second segment, we're going to get into the playoff scenarios. What has to happen? The saints are still alive. The odds didn't improve, unfortunately, but they are still alive. So we'll get into what they have to do. It's pretty simple. And then the third segment, we'll get into some, some other stuff, but the main question I want to answer is, is this a good defense? Because like you could make the case either way, uh, but there's some really interesting numbers and stats, and like how this team ranks in the league that that I think make for an interesting debate. But yeah, first things first, Steve, who is your stud from this game? From that game against the Browns, you knew that it was going to be a trench warfare kind of deal, not only because of what the team does, the Browns do, but also the conditions and. I thought the Saints' run game was really impressive uh, between Taysom Hill. And I know, um, you know, you're looking at the yards per carry. It wasn't so great for Kamara. But 
just that combined effort, I thought, brought that toughness, that grittiness you needed against a Browns front that you knew but both sides knew what was coming and what you had to do in those conditions. And the Saints were able to out Browns the Browns in Cleveland kind of thing. Out Browns the Browns. <laughs> Just um, because I knew they were going to be heavy run, obviously, with Nick Chubb. And, you know, I, I was actually surprised on how much they did use Deshaun Watson as a quote-unquote, I guess you would say Jalen Hurts. Yeah, no, like I thought how much they used him as a runner. He only ran the ball four times. I guess they see those yardage then. He picked up big-time yardage in those situations. Well, he had that one touchdown run. But, yeah, he didn't run much in the second half. The big criticism of how the Browns operated is they didn't run the ball enough. But my biggest criticism of the Saints, and I think a lot of people had this criticism of the Saints, involves the run game. And it, it's about why did Taysom Hill not get his first run until three minutes to go right. in the first half? And Dennis Allen was on WWL last night, and he kind of talked about that. Here's what he had to say. So uh, is that is that just like you had a plan uh, that way, maybe why Taysom Hill wasn't more involved uh, earlier on in, in that first quarter? Yeah, well, look, there was a lot of plays where Taysom was actually involved. They weren't the plays that ended up with him with the ball in his hand. Um, and, and that's part of how that, you know, just the game planning process works. And it's part of how the game played out. You know, the first series of the game, we take over the ball on whatever it was, the one or two yard line. And so now we're backed up, which is, you know, different than being in your normal openers um, and you're coming off your own goal line. So uh, we had the wind at our back in the, in the first quarter. So there were some things that we felt like we might be able to do with the wind at our back. And then they went on about a nine minute drive there in the second quarter, which, which ate up a lot of time uh, in the half. So look, certainly Taysom is a big part of what we do. Um, he's somebody that we want to, uh, have involved. Uh, I feel like we've gotten him involved and, and, uh, look, we got to the key stat, which was making sure that he had his seven carries and his 50 plus yards. And, uh, when we do that, we win. It, it is interesting because they are aware of the stat where exactly. Taysom Hill. So he's rushed the ball seven times or more in five games. The Saints are five and zero oh in those games. The one game he didn't was week one against the Falcons. I think he had four carries, but he also ran for 81 yards and a touchdown in that game. So he had a significant uh, impact. So it's like, this team is aware that they need to get Taysom Hill involved. But that's just what frustrated me. It's like, you know, and, and I get what he's saying. Like, if you go back and watch the game again, you'll see Taysom Hill was on the field a lot. He just handed off to Alvin several times. And like, these are, some of these are read plays. Some of these are pre-snap. Some of them are post-snap reads. And, you know, the way the defense played kind of, forced a handoff right but like at a certain point you just have to say okay enough with the read plays call a designed run for Taysom and I think that's what they did you know obviously late in the second quarter and you know on that touchdown drive to start the third quarter and like would you wouldn't you know it the game changed once they did that crazy you know one thing I really wanted to see unfortunately we didn't is some kind of trickery in a running play with Shahid and I don't know if they just didn't have one drawn up, drawn up kind of thing. But I thought it would be a good opportunity to to pull that off in Cleveland. Uh, I mean, I think it's tough in those conditions. You just like it's hard enough to right. do this simple stuff. I think if you try something like that and you fumble and you like screw it up, then all of a sudden you look like a moron. And it's like points are at a premium. And I don't know. I I think they did the right thing in how they did it. The the one thing a good bit of the last couple of weeks is they'll have Taysom line up under center. And then Alvin will motion in and Taysom will kind of shift out and be the lead blocker. And like that's that 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 actually works multiple times in the first half. And I think that's kind of where you see that, you know, that pre-snap read where they're like, okay, they're doing a box count. This is what we have. We want an extra blocker. Taysom shifts over. Alvin comes up. And what I want to see there, and I know you're talking about with like the the fly sweep or anything like that, where you're kind of getting creative with how you hand the ball off. I would like to see at least once. Alvin, and this probably isn't one that you throw in that game, but I do want to see it. It's one of those plays where you shift Taysom over and Alvin takes a direct snap and then actually hands it off. To Taysom? To Taysom. Because, like, once teams start getting wise to that, because it works because, you know, every time Taysom goes up there and takes a snap, everyone on that defense is keying on him. And they have a, a plan specifically for Taysom Hill. And then so you shift Alvin in there 
And then all of a sudden, the defense is confused. They're like, okay, do we do the same thing? We can't key on Taysom anymore. How do we key on Alvin? There's an extra blocker. You have to figure out your gaps. And you also trust Alvin to be better at finding his gaps. So you have to be even more careful. But like, so you you just have, so confusion, and then you add more of it. Or so you have a plan, and then you add confusion, and then you go back to it. And then you have Taysom like break around the edge. And I just think, I think that's going to happen eventually. And it's going to work because it's such a pain in the ass to try to defend that guy to begin with. And then it's like, you're just messing with reads. And the only question is, can Alvin execute a handoff in reverse? And I'm not sure. I don't know if he's ever do it. So that's probably something you'd have to try. I think that's something he'd be up to. We know we've talked to him in the past and he's all about, he's waiting for his turn to get to throw a pass. What I would do if I, so if I was designing this for me <laughs> in the offense, it's because, like I said, Alvin doesn't really have the experience of handing the ball off, right? He's received it his whole career. I would set that up and practice it where you kind of do like a pop pass. You know what I'm talking about? Like in college, like you have the guy come in motion, but you're not handing it off. You're just like popping it up. So it's technically a pass so that if he does fumble it, it's an incomplete pass as opposed to a fumble. That's probably how I would have them practice it. Just so you don't have to worry about a mesh point. Because like, I don't want Alvin to have to spend his week worrying about a mesh point. I just want him to have to worry about the timing and kind of pop. Anyway, I agree with you. I think the run game is the reason you won that game. It's the reason you were able to finish off two drives in the third quarter. Um, right. And you did, you know, one of the other reasons you won that drive, won that game is because you were able to steal three points against the wind, which if you go back and look, there was 10 points scored by the Browns, 17 points scored by the, the Saints. 24 of those points were scored with the wind. The only points in that game that were scored against the wind were the Saints at the end of the first half. And I think like that's a big thing because if you're not able to get that score before halftime, you know, the Browns probably aren't being as aggressive with a lead in the third quarter. You might not get that turnover. That was something I'll say like for me when the Browns went up 10 nothing, it it felt very defeating, but you didn't get that mm-hmm. sense from the team at all, which was at least uh, I was obviously encouraging, but for me, I was like, holy shit, you know, 10, nothing on the road here in the weather. I'm like, they're, they're going to get stomped the rest of the it, way. It might as well have been 40. Like coming back from 10, nothing in that game was probably similar to the Vikings coming back from like 26 down. <laughs> but you know, like, I think it's a good example of like, when you talk about, okay, why would you keep Dennis Allen on for another season? Because a team that has quit on its head coach would not win that game. Definitely. You have right. to be playing hard. You you have to have positive emotion and momentum to win that game. Like teams that quit on their coach lose 51 to something on Thanksgiving with all the kids watching on Nickelodeon. That's what teams that quit on their coach do. And that's why Nathaniel Hackett got fired in year one. We talked about this. Like it's rare to see a guy get fired in year one. That's how you do it. By going on national television on Christmas Day and getting just – Bitch slapped by Baker Mayfield, by a team that doesn't even have a starting quarterback. Um, that's how you do it. Anyway, so that's my stud for this game. And we'll do these quick because you went pretty long on that, but I think it deserved it. Uh, Rashid Shahid. We've talked about this guy yeah. every week, it seems like. And he just keeps delivering. No other wide receiver caught a pass. He caught four of them. I mean, no other Saints wide receiver caught a pass. He was four for five on on targets. You know, he he helped them move the ball in key moments, that drive in the third quarter. You know, he had a big catch and run to extend that drive. And like you only needed to throw as much as you needed to throw. And once you were playing with a lead, you know, you were fine. And that's why you had to get out to a lead to win this game. You can talk about, okay, Donovan Peoples-Jones dropped a ball in the end zone. David and Joke dropped a ball in the end zone late in the game. The reason you dropped those balls is because you didn't want to be throwing them in the first place because it is impossible to catch in those conditions. And that's what, what she did in actually catching the ball is <laughs> what, what was very impressive. He had one tough decision on a punt that that first saints drive started on what they're two and that's the only critique i have of him in that game is he needed to field that ball because with the ice on the field it's like a rocket it's gonna deaden the ball right and that was a dangerous spot like if you get a safety there and then you're punting like that's tough and but he there was one that he like fielded like a like a third baseman trying to like you know just knock it down um which is a dangerous technique in the NFL because if the ball squirts away from you in the NFL it's a friggin fumble but he did I mean he got it and like that was another example where it's like okay you either get on that or it's going to go 15 20 yards right and you know he was able to field a couple more punts you know a muff punt you probably lose that game so you know good for him he he's been he's just gotten better and better every week and you know, it's 
He, I, I mean, it's it's wild. It's wild how good he has been able to be in this limited time frame. Like he didn't even get on the field until week six. And uh, yeah, it's remarkable. And so the Saints, you know, you want to talk about the positive things that this Saints team has. And in Chris Olave and Rashid Shahid, you have weapons. You have young weapons. And you haven't been able to say that for a long time for the Saints. No, I think I made this comment. And, you know, my, my dream of dreamlands, too. You, you mentioned those two, obviously. You get back a healthy, I know everyone's going to roll their eyes when I say it, but you get back a healthy Michael Thomas next year with those two. And holy crap, you talk about one of the best, you know, one, two, three punches you have at wide receiver. Now, unfortunately, I think the Saints go into Philly against one of the best wide receiver duos in the NFL right now. You get the luxury of being able to bring Michael Thomas back and not have to ask him to do too much because you can't expect a ton out of him, but you don't need nearly as much out of him. But you you do retain like a premier possession receiver, a guy who can make contested catches. And if he ever does get back and is able to play, you know, without without injuring himself every four games, you know, that's what you're going to want. That's what that's what this team doesn't have right now. And it didn't get it in Jarvis Landry either. And that's a big disappointment as well. Okay, so just some honorable mentions, guys, who did have a really good game and uh, but didn't make the studs column. Tyron Matthew, you know, my guy, 11 tackles, led the team. He had six solo tackles, now first on the Saints in solo tackles with 58. Pete Werner is second, so to be fair, Pete Werner is second with 56. If he hadn't been hurt, he would easily be outstripping that number. If you combine his and Kate Ellis's starts like the will linebacker position has accounted for, I think 85, but like this is everyone wants to say like Tyron Matthew can't tackle. Well, all he's doing is going out there and making tackles. He had a tackle for loss on, on Kareem hunt where Kareem had a ways to run if he doesn't make that tackle. And uh, he did. And you know, he may have started a little slower than, than he probably hoped and fans probably hoped, but like my biggest issue with it is, People have been watching lately. They made their decision after like week two. And it's like, he's been really good the last like months. And this defense has been good the last like two months. And, uh, you know, he showed it in this game when they really needed him without Marcus May. No, and it's, it's pretty amazing that, you know, you've mentioned like the beginning of the year, folks were talking about, oh, you know, Matthew's ready to basically call it a, a season after this year. And especially last game, I definitely will say he – and an impressive outing when they really needed it in Cleveland. Maybe he needs to thrive more in the those uh, outside cold temperatures. I don't know, but I was going to say an honorable mention. I was going to another safety and Daniel Sorensen just for being – just because the play came right to you, he still made the play, though. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, the, the, the Saints would be perfectly fine with a lot more of these interceptions that kind of fall into your hands. Amen. Right. No, for sure. Like no one's complaining about Bradley Roby getting that fumble against uh, Atlanta. No one's complaining about Daniel Sorensen just saying, well, look what I found. You, know, you uh, mentioned Roby. I think he could have had two picks in that game. Yeah. Well, and it's a game where, you know, you shouldn't take for granted someone catching a ball, even if it is like gift wrapped. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so in that case, give it to him but i do just to go back to tyron for one second because you know tyron's my guy and i can't help but stand for him again and i said this about the team in general like one of the critiques is like oh he just doesn't care he's not just out there collecting a paycheck and it's like no 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 no. you are not the leading tackler in like the coldest game in saints history unless you want to be unless unless you really care about it and uh so yeah i just there's been so many attacks on the guy's character and that's what bothers me more than like being critical of him as a player like, yes, he has limitations, but these guys are out there working hard. They're working their asses off, uh, and, they're, and, they're, and they're playing good right now. One more is uh, Carl Granderson, who, you know, I don't know if he had a great game overall. I think he was solid, but he obviously made the play of the game in yeah. coming up from the, you know, he wasn't actually in coverage. It was something that sounds set after the game. He was just chasing David and Joku upfield because it was his job to chip him. Because if you remember, if you go back to the Browns-Bucks game, similar scenario, fourth down, it was David and Joku who caught this crazy one-handed touchdown to send it to overtime. And you're looking at a very similar situation right there. And so the Saints obviously are watching tape and they saw that and they were like, this is what they're going to go to. And so they sent Carl Granderson out there to chip him, and he did. And so, but it took him a while to get there and he had to chase him. And so that's why he's coming from like off the frame to make that sack. And I think it does show you like, that's a situation where if Deshaun makes him miss, you don't know what's going to happen, right? He, he might be running in. He might be able to, to extend and find somebody. It's not easy to cover for that long. And 
that's a very athletic tackle to make coming full speed upfield and uh, good for him. He deserved it. Yeah. And I think uh, didn't DA give him some praise saying he's been one of the most improved players this season for the saints. Oh yeah. Yeah. He said that in the off season too. I mean, and the other thing is he, he apparently doesn't feel cold because he was out there shirtless before the game. And he said only his hands were cold. Him and, and Joku, I said, it was doing that too. It was ridiculous. You see these guys. And literally when you were, when I went down there right away, just, the smoke from your, you know, mouth is billowing out because it's so cold yeah. and just breathing. I can't imagine exposing my whole upper chest out there. They're nuts. Well, Tano Passenio did it as well. Meanwhile, Alvin Kamara is then in like a wetsuit being like, it's cold, guys. I'm not going to pretend I'm not cold because I don't think I'm cold. I'm freaking exactly. cold. He was, um, not being, he was definitely in no shame in his game. He was by the heaters just as much as I was. There were also like no local media there, which is kind of no. funny. Like, right. I think it was Ricardo LeCompte who was, like, the only person asking questions in person. There was an issue with, like, you know, getting flights in, obviously. Yeah, a lot of the flights were canceled, right. And Ricardo happened to be in the area, I think, because either, either his family or his yeah. um, his wife's family kind of thing. It's just kind of weird. It was like a COVID game. Yeah. Like, there was, like, 5,000 fans. <laughs> you know, there was no media. <laughs> anyway. So, okay, let's shift to the other side. And there aren't many, you know, I'm not going to give a whole lot of people a lot of grief in this game. Getting through it alone makes you a stud. In my book, there's one player who I think you can just fairly say is a dud. And uh, it, who who would you say it was? I guess you'd have to give it to Mr. Stonehands, Keith Kirkwood, two pretty big drops. Yeah. I mean, but I'll, I'll say this, like, what are we doing drawing up plays on third down and long for Keith Kirkwood? Well, that's what happens when you don't have any wide receivers. <laughs> I mean, well, I, who I else mean, are you drawing it up for? I'm throwing it for Shahid at least. Well, yeah, I mean, so I mean, but you can't just say, well, this is a one-man read. Like, they take it away. You got to be able to throw it to the other guys. And I mean, who else? Who, who else is out there in that combination? Right? Where I guess you could say, where's Traquan? But you could be saying that all year. Where could you say, where's Marquez? You could be saying that all year. Um, you know, it's funny because the second one looks bad, but like that one, I don't even put on him. Like. I'm pretty sure the ball literally was where he was going to catch it. And then at the last second, it just got blown into the back of his head. Like, it's not like he didn't know where it was. It just ended up in the back of his head, which is like, that's why you don't want to throw it. Like that's, we heard it all week. Like the first one though, he actually had it in his hands and he, and he just couldn't hold on. And that, that one I think would have, would have been a major difference. Like you, you were extending a drive and yeah. So He's, I think it's fair to be critical of that because he had two chances to really make an impact in that game and he wasn't able to do it. No, the ball was just like, we've t- we talk about it as it being a rock. Yeah, it was, there's just so stiff and slick from everything. I, I, you know, that I think that was an underrated issue, maybe not talked about enough. It was all about maybe the wind affecting passes, but definitely the coldness and slipperiness of the ball caused a lot of issues on both sides. And and he's the only guy that I think is fair to give a to give a a dud to on the Saints side. But I will, you know, in most cases I stay away from the other team because I don't really care. In this case, a massive, massive dud to Kevin Stefanski from the Browns. And it's kind of funny because after the game, I was pointing out to people like, you know, we can criticize Dennis Allen for a lot of things. The personnel on the field isn't one of them. Like you like he is the defensive play caller. He is not calling the offensive plays. He can make suggestions and he can say, well, let's do this here. And in the down and distance situations, he makes the call. Right. But like in, in the instances of like, well, why isn't Taysom getting the ball? That's on Pete Carmichael. He's calling the plays. Dennis Allen can't be like, Oh, what was that play? Pete? No, give it to Taysom instead. Like that's not how this works. So like we can criticize him in the game planning portion, but during the game, you gotta, you gotta hope your offensive coordinator can figure stuff out on the fly. In the Browns' case, Kevin Stefanski does call the play. So for the same reason, I will criticize Dennis Allen for stuff that happens on the defense. And I would used to be able to criticize Sean Payton for stuff that happened on the offense. You can criticize Kevin Stefanski for what happened on the Browns' offense. And the fact that the Browns threw the ball 31 times, which is a good number in any conditions, the fact they threw the ball 31 times in that game is nonsense. Nonsense. They they care not about whatever we're talking about the wind, right? Right, in a game that was tied 10-10, and they had the ball near midfield. Why are you throwing a, like a short crossing pattern? You have Nick Chubb. He ran the ball 24 times. He should have run the ball 40 times. Like, that's the type of game where you run your running back 40 times, or at least say Kareem Hunt, okay, 
season high in touches, right? No, seven carries. They ran the ball the same number of times with their running backs that they threw it with Deshaun Watson in a game that you could not throw the ball in half of the game. That is ridiculous. That final drive, like, yeah, they they moved it downfield, but like, why were they not trying to run it into the end zone, <laughs> right? Like, that's bananas to me. This guy leads the NFL in rushing yards in the fourth quarter of games, and they decided, yeah, we're going to let Deshaun handle this one. It's it's crazy. It's crazy. And you can't say they're tanking because they don't even have their own first-round pick. They're <laughs> right in the same boat as the Saints. So, like, just terrible, terrible coaching. Because they had a chance. They had a really slim chance to make the playoffs, but they still had a chance to make the playoffs in that game. Sure. And, like, he coached them right out of it, right? And, uh, like, that's just terrible, terrible. What, what like, you, you mentioned there, it's like you have one of the NFL's best, if not the NFL's top running back this season, and you just completely nullified him in the biggest crucial time. I get it. You're trying to make your your star quarterback your hero there, but you, you would think you'd, you'd see a lot more Chubb than you did. For sure, I, I agree. There was only 24 touches, I think you said. You would think that number would be, at least be 35. Amari Cooper had more targets than any of the Saints' non-running backs combined. Like, Rashid Shaheed had five targets. Juwan Johnson had two. Keith Kirkwood had two. That's nine total. Amari Cooper had 10 by himself. Yeah, they, they clearly felt the they could they pass did, yeah. in this weather. In terrible. The weather. It's terrible. Like... You'd think a team that plays in it would understand how to play in it, but like that was just horrible game planning with a guy that does not understand how to play in the cold. Like it's not like Deshaun is this great cold weather quarterback either. This is like the first time he's had to deal with anything like this. And like Kevin Stefanski, just big thumbs down. It's terrible. If you told me they were trying to lose that game on purpose, I'd believe you. <laughs> That's it for me. Anyone else you want to talk about? I guess low key shout out to Will Lutz for making all those kicks. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he didn't miss, right? Neither, neither of them missed. Low-key shout-out. We, we gave the Browns a dud. We can give them a stud, too. Cade York, good on you. You didn't miss. Neither did Will Lutz. All the kickers. In a game where we were told that you couldn't kick, They neither of them had any issues. They obviously didn't kick any long field goals, but they were able to make their extra points, which that's a decent length, right? Like, you see guys miss on extra points regularly in the dome you see people miss so good on them for making it but all right we'll come back and do a quick one on the uh playoff road and, and a bit on the eagles heading into week 17 the saints are still alive odds will say that this will be the last week we can say that so let's let's take advantage of it stick around on inside black and gold hit the subscribe button wherever get all those podcasts you listen to Here on Inside Black and Gold, and we are heading into Conflicted Steve Week because the Saints face the Eagles. How you feeling about it, Steve? You know, uh, normally I always want, obviously, Saints to win just because it betters my chance at the postseason, typically. But this year, an Eagles win helps their draft pick. So, and doesn't really do much for the Saints. So, I, I don't know. I can't. I can't say I'm leaning towards philadelphia in the game when the saints are the team i cover there's still more loyalty i think towards the saints now than philadelphia if that's weird good job steve that is the correct answer <laughs> all right back here on inside black and gold i'm jeff Nowak alongside steve geller and because we have one more week where we can definitely talk about it let's talk about it the saints are still in the playoff hunt and their two percent chance is still a two percent chance <laughs> the cardinals had such a prime opportunity to help the saints out and did not. You know, it's it's really frustrating. It sure does feel like the Saints never get help from other teams. Ever. Yeah. Ever. Yeah. Ever. Even when it's like, oh, look, the Rams are up by 13 in the second half. Like, yeah, we're definitely getting to the playoffs. Nope, going to blow nope. that. The Cardinals are up by 10 points in the fourth quarter. Oh, of course they're going to blow that. Of course they're going to blow that. Why wouldn't they? Um, and, you know, it's like the Saints didn't need that. But it, if the Cardinals had won that game, this whole like road to the playoffs would feel a lot different because you saw what the Panthers did to the Lions. Like the Panthers are playing good football right now. I think uh, Dan Campbell came off the field and like told Steve Wilkes, Wilkes like, damn, that was an ass beating you just gave us. <laughs> <laughs> like talking about a team that's playing hard for a guy, you know, like 
there's no reason that you that you shouldn't think that the Panthers can go down to Tampa and possibly win that game. Now, will they be favored? Probably not. But, you know, like, it's not, like, crazy. It's not like maybe the Cardinals could upset them, which the Cardinals, a team that had literally nothing to play for other than J.J. Watt having his final home game, who it was like he was playing for the Saints in that game. But the Bucs did not lose, which means that the Saints now, in order to make the playoffs, they need to win their final two games and have the Bucs lose their final two games. Obviously, again, not a high percentage road, but it's at least simple. I, I've said this all week or all last week, and then I'm saying it again. Like Anytime you can look at your road and say, okay, you need to do this, and you need to win your games, and one another team needs to do one thing, then it's not crazy. You know, if the Saints needed the, the Bucks and the Panthers and the Eagles and so and so and so and so on to lose – then that's something else. Like the Raiders technically have playoff hopes. I think it's like 0.09%. And it's like, yeah, they're not getting in. The Saints just have to hope that the Panthers put a looking on the Bucks, the Eagles lay another egg, and you're like, you can worry about week 18 when you get there, right? And so like, sure, the Falcons might not be a great bet to beat the Bucks, but if you're going into week 18 and you have a chance, I'd take that. Yeah, I mean... Going back to the Panthers, they've been pretty impressive considering obviously you got rid of your head coach. Their quarterback carousel has been like the Saints, you know, last year of how many QBs they've had to deal with. They got rid of their star running back. You got rid of a top receiver. And yeah, they're, they're still playing hard. I give a lot of credit. I don't know. It seems to rotate from week to week, whether it's the Foreman or Hubbard in the run game that's really been impressive. Um, well, and it's like you can look at it, and a lot of times you'll see results like this where a team's playing hard and the other team has nothing to play for, right? That's not the case last week. The Lions had everything to play for. The Lions were 7-7. Seven and seven. Like, right. they're still in the playoff hunt. A win there yeah, would have been them, like the hottest team in football. Right yeah. Now. Like, pump yeah. the brakes. <laughs> right, and they beat them up. Like, they didn't just beat them. Like, they were up like 33-7. to seven. They put, put a beat down on them. And, you know, like the Bucks have been playing like – Abs- to use a Mike Dettelier term, absolute horse hockey the last few weeks. And I, you know, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if the Panthers are favored in that game. They probably should be. They probably should be one or two point favorites. And then, yeah, a matchup against the, la- the last game of the year, Atlanta. A uh, young quarterback still trying to find his way. They're, you know, the team's yeah. going to be playing hard around him. And, that, you know, the running back in Algier has been impressive. So, yeah, the, the Bucks don't have the easiest – uh, road to close it out it's just for new orleans to be able to pull out now four straight to close out the year i mean it sounds like a, a hell of a, a fairy tale story kind of thing yeah and i mean like worst case scenario it's like it'd be cool to get to week 18 knowing you had a chance yeah right, right. so because you like a chance still right and, and like yeah if you made the playoffs and you got blown out in the first round by the cowboys or whatever like would that it's like that wouldn't be worse no. Whereas, like, at least having some sort of, like, positive momentum. Um, and, like, if you win your final four games, like I said this in the first segment, I don't care. If you win your final four games, that's good. Like, that is a team that's finally finding its footing, and you're going to go forward in the next season feeling a lot better about what this team can do. And you're also going to ruin that Eagles draft pick. The one thing that – so, obviously, the cards didn't win – uh, and that's frustrating. But the other thing that happened that is actually that really makes this road for the Saints deal a lot more difficult is the Eagles lost. Then they lost to the Cowboys. And that's significant because yeah. an Eagles win would have clinched the NFC East and it would have clinched a top seed for them, which would have meant they'd go into week 17 with nothing to play for beyond obviously the draft pick. But that's not going to, you know, p- players on the field aren't going to be like extra motivated, right? They're They're going to play like a team that knows they have nothing to play for. And anyone who's like Jalen Hurts, for example, like he might play this week because they need to win this week, but they didn't have anything to play for. You would 100% be seeing Gardner Minshew. And so that's, that makes it more difficult for the Saints for sure. Well, I think we mentioned this too, even though with, with Gardner Minshew running the show for them, they, they still put up a bunch of points against Dallas. The defense just didn't, didn't end up stopping anybody in that scenario and turnover turnovers suddenly for Philadelphia have become a lot more pre- prevalent uh, since the start of the season when they were so stingy with the football suddenly now towards the end of the, the year, I guess as things have been getting colder, they've been coughing up things a lot more. 
Yeah, and you like if you're the Saints, you are you're game planning for Gardner Minshew when you're really hoping you see Gardner Minshew because <laughs> Jalen Hurts has has just beaten the shit out of them in the last two seasons. Like he just has been really, really good. And you know, his passing numbers haven't been anything spectacular. In those two games, two wins by the Eagles, 30 for 54 for 314 yards and a touchdown. That's it, passing. But he hasn't turned it over. And the the numbers you look at, 36 carries for 175 yards and three touchdowns. All three of those rushing touchdowns came in 2021. And it's like, that's the type of thing that this team probably can't handle. But with Minshew in there, and the Saints have faced Minshew before, if you go back to 2019 with the Jaguars, his rookie season, that was one of the Teddy Bridgewater games. They went into Jacksonville and won 13 to six. Gardner Minshew went 14 for 29, 163 yards and interception. So like they've, they've faced him before. They have an idea of what he's going to look like. And they have a whole game where they can go back and, and, and look at film to see what they're going to try to do with him. So if you're the Saints... You, you feel like you have a much better chance with Minshew in there. One thing to keep in mind is they could technically activate Sam Johnson for this game. I don't know if they're Maybe going to. who knows, could be. <laughs> I think Nick Sirianni talked about it. Let's. I, I, this is the first time I'm going to hear it. So okay, let's, yeah, uh, definitely there's a, poss- there's a chance. Gardner Johnson is uh, eligible to return for this next game. Do you expect him to practice? And when he does come back, is that a possibility of him playing in, in the nickel corner spot? Yeah, first first of all, we got to see you know see with everything how everything's healing in there, and that's a, that's that's a little bit harder one to um, track, right? Because you can't just you can't just you, you got to go in there and see, right? You got to get the CAT scans and do everything you got to do to see how everything's healing in there. So um, we'll we'll see we'll see where he is, and again with all these guys, right? As much as we want these guys to play, it's always about their health first and and their long term health uh, for the player. Um, and, and same thing here, especially with something like Chauncey's going through, it'll always be about where he is um, and how, you know, because that, that's something you don't mess around with. Um, and so when he's healthy, he'll go. We'll see. We'll find out more as, as he gets some of these tests done. Um, just because he's eligible to return doesn't necessarily mean he will, um, even though I know he'll want to. And, um, again, all these guys are going to want to. Um, and so we'll see. Uh, that's going to be something that, that, that we're just waiting for some of the results back and when he, when he does get those tests. He's dealing with yeah. a similar injury to Marshawn Lattimore uh, with a kidney injury. And we're seeing how long it's taking him to come back, yeah. not just from being cleared to get on the field, but just we've talked about this, of being able to take a hit, uh, mm-hmm. dealing with that severe of an internal injury along with some rib, you know, damaged ribs. It's just something that you you have to be extra careful with, and the Saints have been maintaining that with, with Lattimore for sure. Yeah, and I think the Eagles are going to have to play this safe too because absolutely, I don't think you can trust CJ's word for it in this situation because he wants to play the Saints. Like, he oh, no wants doubt. to be back for this game, and he might not be the most responsible narrator of his own health and how his body is feeling because he wants very badly to be on the field for this game. So, like, I think this, the Eagles are aware of that, and they're going to have to listen to the doctors very closely. I would be very surprised if he gets on the field. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if he's back at practice, but I would be surprised if he, if he is back on the field uh, playing for the Eagles on Sunday. I would like to hang out on the Eagles sideline watching the game with CJ and just so listening gonna, to him. Yes. So you're going to be there. If he is there on the field, I expect you to be on the Eagles side and like relaying what he's saying back to everybody. I just, yeah, just be way more interesting. Let, let my mic capture the magic that's yeah. coming out. That's going to be way more interesting than anything that happens on the Saints sideline. It's just like a running feed, uh, CJ Gardner Johnson's who he's going at. I, I am curious because he's going to go after somebody, right? He's going to trash talk somebody if he's out there and i'm curious who it would be would it be the secondary would it be a marshawn probably be an offensive player you know would it be because who was it was he gonna trash talk chris olave like it'd I probably be traquan i could see him and camara having a good little spat also like cam jordan going back and forth yeah, yeah i could see cam i could see cam but camara doesn't really talk you know like when have you ever seen camara go at it with somebody you know what i mean like i don't think he does you I know, just figured maybe he was someone that'd be running towards the sideline and gets into it, you know, Chauncey's up in his ear kind of thing. Yeah, but they don't – he won't chirp. Like, Kamara doesn't chirp. 
you know, if you still had Mike Thomas, 100% absolutely would be him. But like, it's like, like we've talked to Rashid a few times. Rashid is not going to be chirping. Like that is not in his DNA. Like Rashid is one of the nicest people you'll ever meet. <laughs> like he's going to be like, oh, CJ, great to see you. <laughs> he just he just takes out opposing defensive coordinator. <laughs> yeah, like he, he'll beat you on the field, but he's not going to be the guy that's like talking to you. You know, he's not, he's not Des Bryant. He's not Mike Thomas. He's not. He's not one of those guys. So I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it'll be maybe it'll be Andy Dalton. Maybe it'll be Dennis Allen will be yelling across too. That's gonna be tough because they're never gonna be on the same side of the field. To, <laughs> to, like players on the field will inevitably end up near the Eagles sideline. So he'll be able to like, you know, waiting. Um, yeah, I guess we can keep getting into this. So the Eagles will be giving it every ounce of like there's no question of their motivation anymore and that's kind of why i say like they just lost their all, one of their key offensive linemen though too so i mean they're, they're Johnson, pretty banged yes. up. yeah but i just in the sense that you're going to get their a game sure that is definitely going to happen because you know the, the eagles you know they, they not only do they need to win to clinch you know the top seed if they lose and the cowboys win that means that they would go into week 18 not only not being able to rest players they would go into week 18 with the possibility that they lose the NFC East after because, all that. Right. Yeah. After dominating, after like not losing a game until like week, tw- like, you know, what, what were they 11 and one until or 12 and one prior to last week, 13 and one, even like after all that to not even host a playoff game, that would be brutal. But if so, Cowboys are 11 and four, 11 and four and the Eagles are 13 and two. So the, the, the Cowboys are kind of in the same boat as the Saints are in terms of winning the division. They need to win out. They need to win their final two games. And the Eagles need to lose their final two games. But, like, if you're the Cowboys, you ha- you're playing with house money because you're in the playoffs either way. If you're the Eagles, you're like, man, we are going to lose a lot. If we don't get a bye, <laughs> if we don't get a home game, like, that's a huge swing. That's like when the Saints went 13-3 and three and, they, and they ended up playing in the wild card round despite being tied for the best record with two other teams that both got buys, right? I was actually thinking about it today. The last time the Saints played a meaningless, quote-unquote, meaningless game was uh, week 17 against the Panthers in, like, what, the 2018 season? Teddy Bridgewater started. That was his first start. And, like, Kyle Allen started for the Panthers and beat the Saints. It was a meaningless game. Like, nobody played. And, like, that's the last time the Saints have played a meaningless game on either side of it, on either being eliminated or already having your spot tied up, which is kind of crazy when you think about it. Like, you're talking about what? What is that? A five year run, right? So, like, 20, I think 2017 was that season. I think it's 2018, 2019, 2020, 2021, and now 2022. So, you're going on five seasons without meaningless game, quote unquote, meaningless game. And you could have that if you lose to the Eagles this week. So, like, it's, I think it's interesting. No, the fact that the team has always been one that has been, you know, in playoff contention, man, even though seven and nine years or no, it could that was been. before that. That was before, right? right. So like, yeah, that was the the seven and nine years were preceding that, yeah, and there yeah, were definitely right. some meaningless games in those seasons. But that's why, like, that's why it's kind of kind of interesting. It's like you didn't, ha- you haven't had one of those in like five years, and I mean. I think, and even like the thirteen and three season, in a lot of instances, you would be resting in the final week because you were clinched. But the Saints never got that luxury. No, it's easy to look back now, obviously, and seeing how things unfolded this season, and be like, "Oh, yeah, Vegas was right." But yeah, Vegas saw this all along, They're right on it from this transition, and we kind of yeah. like mocked them for it. There's one other scenario that I think is worth mentioning: if the Saints lose to the Eagles and their season is effectively done, the Panthers beat the Bucks. The Saints will go into week 18 knowing that they control the Bucks' destiny. Because if the Bucks beat the Falcons, which odds are they will, the Panthers will have to beat the Saints to win the division. Now, the Saints have nothing to play for. And I, I would much prefer not letting Tom Brady get into the playoffs because I'm that much of a troll. And like, so I'm the guy who's like, nah, you're not going to give up a game. You're not going to tank, whatever. In that instance, I'd be tempted. Like, if, if the Saints had a young quarterback to play, I'd put him in. You know, like, but they don't have that. But like, so like, okay, yeah, this is the Eno Benjamin game, right? You know, you're you're sitting down, Chris Olave. You've already seen what you need from him. Kirk Merrick, go in there, show me what you can do, right? Like, that's how I would play that game if I'm the Saints. Uh, and it would be so funny for the like, like, even if this season sucks, whatever, at least they get to like troll Tom Brady at the end of it. That'd be interesting just to see some of the, you know, those names that we haven't 
Uh, obviously seen many snaps for or any at all during the season. But yeah, there is no Ian book to to insert there to to like, let's see what you got, kiddo. That is the frustrating part of it. Like you would like to have that. Yeah. But like, yeah, you could say, okay, this is the, you know, Benjamin game, Penning starting at left tackle, Alante Taylor is starting on the outside. You know, you're going to call up Kirk Merritt, let him start at wide receiver. You know, I'm sure there are a few others that you could, that you could look at, but yeah, like that's how I would play that game. But it's like very similar to, and we mentioned this in terms of the Falcons doing it to the saints. It'd be very similar to the giants in 2020 where the Eagles, had a really good chance to win that game and they pulled Jalen Hurts in the second half and they were clearly tanking it. And that's why the Giants missed the playoffs and, and Washington got in with a seven and nine record. And so, you know, it's it's just kind of funny to think about like the Saints could be in that scenario this time next week. And I, it would be funny to see how they handle it. Because the Saints are a team that like you look at the teams like, okay, what which teams would have nothing to play for and still win? And the Saints historically, I think, would be that team because they're not going to go in the tank and it's just not in their DNA. But in this case, I think you would. Yeah, it's hard to really imagine, though. Yeah, I couldn't imagine them, quote-unquote, tanking. There'd have to be, from the player standpoint, if somebody's playing, they're playing to win. You're not going out there and saying, we're trying to lose this game, <laughs> right? But you're not playing Alvin Kamara, right? Because right. it makes no sense. Like, you're not going to get Alvin Kamara injured in the final game of the season. Same thing with Chris Olave. Heck, even Rashid Jaheed, maybe you don't play him. Maybe you just have him do returns and like you, you, you have Trevor Penning start to get his first career start, right? Like that sort of thing. And like, that'll probably lose you a game naturally, but that's a good thing because you get these guys experience. And so that's kind of where I, where I'd see it. Yeah. I'm all about obviously giving, I've, I've been wanting to see more opportunities for some of the, some of the guys like a Kirk Merritt kind of deal. We've seen so much from him that was impressive in training camp. I'll say obviously, which is a whole different beast even than the preseason but you know you keep waiting to see that little bit of flash that I guess you've seen from the training camp practices translate into the NFL for some of the guys that you're I guess you quote unquote are rooting for yeah and you're gonna want that information come next season right like that's gonna be information that you would like to have in your back pocket like you would like to know what it looks like to start Trevor Penning you would like to know what it looks like in an actual competitive setting same thing for you know benjamin and stuff like that but what, yeah, what are we gonna anyway. do with defensive end that's a good question peyton turner i still like he's a he seems like a a question mark every week and we used to have that with davenport too but davenport i thought had a pretty good game in in cleveland yeah he's just been he just hasn't been productive rushing the passer in this tough you know maybe that maybe it's going to allow the saints to retain him at a reasonable number you know maybe that's what, yeah, that's what's what i'm thinking right maybe he yeah, maybe he'll sign it a, a shorter term deal to kind of increase his stock I feel like the pressure has been there, and I thought it, I think his run defense has been fairly, fairly decent. Yeah, it's just the sack number that hasn't been there. But uh, like no, at the end of the day, when you're a defensive here. end, that number is important um, to teams when they're looking to sign him. Like we're talking about signing a guy and saying, "Well, we're going to pay him 18 million dollars a season." You, you, you got to have a number in that column. No, you're no one's giving him Trey Hendrickson money. money. Yeah. All right, let's wrap that segment up. We've been going along, um, and we'll come back to answer the question: Is this a good defense? Stick around on Inside Black. Fight, heart, grit. That's what they got. You know what I mean? And that's what the New Orleans Saints have been about. And so, look, I know that the, 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 the wins haven't come like we like we had hoped. But our guys have never, never quit fighting. And uh, that's why I love coaching them. Yeah, fight, heart, grit. Put it on a poster, hang it on the wall. That's that's kind of what I hear there. Um, but yeah, we're back here on Inside Black and Gold. We're going to close this segment out. It's going to be a quick one. Every time I say that, it ends up being a half an hour. But I promise that's not the case this time. I'm Jeff Nowak with Steve Geller. Because my main question is, Steve, yeah. is this a good defense? When you, when you hear that question, you know, is this like a top five NFL defense as it is right now? No, not right now. And the biggest disappointment has been the run defense this season. Mm -hmm. Other than that, you know, I've, I think coming into this year, we all talked about how this unit was going to have to be El Presidente and, and leading, leading the team week in and week out. And we've seen them really have some solid games, but there's been the issues of the run defense the lack of takeaways, and then some, you know, those late game situations where 
they they've seemed to have folded, but I will say a lot of it has been two because of the fact they've been let, left out there too long. Yes, that's definitely fair. Um, so let's we can just go through some stats, right? So yeah. this team it has not allowed an opponent to go over twenty points since week nine against the Ravens. So yeah, you can do the math there. That's five consecutive. No, so 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, no, 15, 16. So that's six, which that's pretty impressive if you do it at any point, right? Like who the opponents are, like that's a pretty impressive stretch. And I do think to an extent this defense has has improved as the season's gone on. You know, obviously you haven't had Marshawn, but I, and I think like the first couple of games without him were, were sketchy at points. And I think Tay Taylor specifically – you know, has gotten grown by leaps and bounds. Like he, he never panics when the ball's in the air, right? Like you can't say that about Paul Sanadibo, who I think has, I don't want to say he's regressed, but he hasn't, he hasn't progressed at the, at the pace you would have hoped to see based on how good his preseason was. You know, he looks very similar to the player we saw out there last year with the difference that he's going against wide receiver ones because Marshawn's not there across from him. And, you know, he's been called for several questionable penalties he had one in this game Marsha or Alante Taylor had a had a big pass breakup and you know oh look a flag holding on the other side of the field way away from the play and that's been very frustrating in the Bucks game he had that pass interference down to the one yard line right and you could ask why is he getting singled up on Mike Evans at that point in the game but uh, you could also ask why can't you cover Mike Evans if that's Marshawn you never wonder you are comfortable. And I think part of the reason you're a Debo and you are getting singled against Mike Evans is because that's just your game plan for the box is you are comfortable putting Mike Evans on an island to get somebody. The difference is this time you put Mike Evans on Paulson, a Debo Island and not Marshawn Lattimore Island. And you saw the results. And so, yeah, I, I think that's something, but here are some numbers kind of going into it. Completion percentage against 61.2%. That's number four in the NFL yards per passing attempt allowed. 5.8, that's number four in the NFL. Total yards allowed, 2,856, that's number two in the NFL. Hmm. Touchdowns allowed, 16, that's number four in the NFL. First downs allowed passing on the season, 146, that's number four in the NFL. First down percentage allowed, so like the number of first downs that turn into a first down, right? Does that make sense? Like the number of new new down sets, the, the percentage end up being a first down generated on that set of downs. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay, so that number is 29.9%. That's the second best number in the NFL. Sacks, 40, tied for ninth in the NFL. And then these are the numbers that are kind of amazing. Interceptions, four, tied for 32nd, and that's last in the NFL. Takeaways, 11, total takeaways, 11, last in the NFL. And that's what's amazing, right, is like total yards allowed. To be number two in the NFL and total yards allowed with only having four of those drives ended with an interception is pretty crazy, right? You would think, you know, but you are getting off the field. Like they are, they have been very good at getting off the field. They just haven't made the game changing plays. And that's the frustrating thing is like, you can see that it's a good defense and you just can't get to that point where you can take over a game because you need to do what Daniel Sorensen did, right? You need to be able to get that interception. Like what Bradley Roby did. It just hasn't happened. The other thing, as you mentioned, rush yards allowed per attempt 4.5. That is tied for 19th in the NFL. First downs allowed by penalty, 38. That is the most in the NFL by four, which, you know, 38, you know, four is, that's a pretty wide margin in that, in that scenario. And then, and they're not, they're not leading that league in penalties called either. So they're just getting called for a whole lot of first down allowing penalties. And the crazy thing is they actually do lead the league in one set of penalties. And that is false start. They have 24 of those on the season. That's the most in the NFL. That's the frustrating part. And that's where, you know, you go into the coaching and, you know, obviously those are two different sets of coaching, right? Like Dennis Allen is coaching the defense. So like the first downs allowed by penalty, that's on him because those are defensive penalties and the false starts are on Pete Carmichael, who's the other side of the ball. But it's just, you, you look at the raw numbers and you would guess that this is a good team based on how the defense has performed and, you know, the consistency of the offense. And it just hasn't been. And it's like, you wonder, it's like, see, it's like, it, it's that narrow of a margin. This team very easily could be, they're six and nine right now. They could very easily be nine and six. My question though, really is out of everything is why has the run defense dropped as much as it had? Because that, that used to be a top five unit, no doubt. And it just seemed to, there was a dramatic change in that this season. And I expected, more of the issues to be at the back end with newer safeties 
than against the run kind of thing. Yeah, so you've gotten the, – the run defense is tough because, like, in some instances, you're getting gashed by guys who are getting to the edges, right? Like, you know, the reason they struggled against the Ravens in the run game isn't the same as the reason they struggled yeah. against Najee Harris, right? Like, those are two different things. But I do – I mean, I went into the season saying the defensive interior was was a question um, weak point, right? I, I expected – I wanted to see a guy like Devontae Wyatt, right? You know, there was the other Georgia defensive tackle that if he had gotten there, Javon Carter was his name, Jalen Carter. I can't remember. They they weren't able to get anybody or they didn't they didn't address the position really. They signed Kentavious Street, a guy who, you know, traditionally has been kind of an inside outside. And it's like yeah, but it's like if he was a stud inside rusher, inside defensive player, he would have been there his whole career. The reason you get shuffled around is because you're kind of a tweener. So like that's not a guy who you expect to really shore up the run defense. David Onyemata. I think has taken a step back this season. No question. He's been good, but he hasn't been, I think in the past, he's been a guy who could, who could kind of put that unit on his back. And he hasn't been that this year. Malcolm Roach has been solid. He did take out Deshaun Watson on that interception return, which I was a big fan of. Good for you, Malcolm. But to me, that's where you go. And I've, and I've said this a few times is this team also just doesn't have a lot of team speed. Like you don't look at this team and say like, Oh, this is a really athletic defense outside of the, the secondary. And I think that's that's kind of coming to roost a little bit, especially as Cam Jordan is getting you know older and he's he's a little less rangy. I guess I would say I've, I'm more impressed with the the athleticism at linebacker than I had initially thought. Yeah, well, and I think the run defense has gotten better, excluding that Falcons game, and and I think they are still good in the more traditional run stuffing games. Like they they held up well against Josh Jacobs. I thought they held up reasonably well, well against Nick Chubb in this game. Like they didn't let him break the game. He had 92 yards, 3.8 yards of carry, right? Like they, they made him an inefficient runner. And so, yeah, I think they have gotten better as they've been able to incorporate Caden Ellis a bit more because I think he, he, is a, he is a more stout tackler, if you will. Like Pete Runner is a good tackler, but he's not a big guy. Like I think that if you kind of go forward and if you get to a point where Demario Davis is no longer on this roster – I think you would actually keep Pete at will and you would move Caden into the middle linebacker role because you have to be a bit bigger in that in that, and you have to be a better pass rusher in that role. Are you thinking um, of that because of contract or because of trade with DeMario? I, I think he's going to retire at some point. But not next year. I doubt it, but it's not impossible. I mean, this is his 11th season. I don't think he's going to retire, but it wouldn't shock me if he did. Like Malcolm Jenkins could still be playing right now, but he has a lot going on off the field. And yeah. he does, it didn't feel like he needed to keep doing it. The difference for DeMario is he doesn't have a ring. Like Malcolm had two. So he was like, okay. Made a lot easier, um, yeah. But I mean, they're, they're very similar in the sense that they both have a lot of, a lot of off-the-field type stuff that keep them busy and like families and stuff. So, you know, I, I don't think that you're going to have to replace DeMario this season, but I do think you have to re-sign Caden Ellis. And that's going to be the question. The market for Caden Ellis, too, has gotten a lot more interesting because of his performance down the stretch and the opportunity he's gotten. Uh, I'm sure a lot of teams kind of took note of uh, this seventh round pick who's, I mean, good for him doing it in his contract year, but not because it was going on all season. It was, it was definitely stepping up when the opportunity, you know, came up for him. Yeah. And I think he's, you know, he's, he's made it actively more difficult to resign him in the sense that, you know, you're going to have to pay him, real linebacker money now and he's probably going to have interest elsewhere uh because he's put up some really good tape and so yeah i mean that's that's going to be more difficult but i do think he wants to be here right i think when you're a seventh round pick and you're that type of player who's just been given an opportunity and thrived in it you kind of kind of feel like you you want to be in that you know you don't want to just bail on that i if, if you were to say there's a dennis allen guy on this team you would think that yep kate nelson has got to be one of them right yeah, exactly. That's that's a really good point. And if Kate, if Dennis Allen is still the head coach, I expect him to have a very big impact in being able to keep Caden around. And yeah, I mean, like that's the thing is like people people wanna wanna trash DA and say like these guys don't care. They tuned him out. Like that's not what's happened. It's not like these guys like playing for Dennis Allen. As weird as it is, you know. And you might be arguing that like yeah, but just because you like a guy doesn't make him the best option to be the head coach. And that's a good point. Uh, but it helps. <laughs> the more I think about things with this season, to me, it just, I think there was, there's a little, there was, or maybe even still is just a little bit of that awkwardness 
with the whole situation at quarterback. And I'm not saying that there's people divided over who should the starter should be, but it's a little different going into everyone believing and saying, you know, Jameis Winston's your starting quarterback. Oh, because of an injury, Andy comes in. But when Jameis is seemingly ready, ready to return into the lineup, it's not his spot anymore to take. It's just, it's just now Dalton's and it's hard. It's hard too because you can't really take it away from Andy because his performance has warranted the playing time. Uh, for the way this this he's been, he's been good has genuinely operated. I know it's been a little frustrating. I guess you would say some of the play calling it comes down to, but Andy, we've said it ad nauseum that Andy Dalton is not the problem with the Saints' offense. I don't think there's any question that Andy Dalton has played well for us. Um, and there's, you know, well, I'm going to call it, you know, a handful of plays in this season that if we make the play, um, you know, it's the difference in two or three wins. And um, and that's just, that's where we're at as a football team right now. You know, we're, we're, we're close. We're just not quite quite there yet. And, 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 um, you know, there's a handful of plays that in, in each game that make the difference in the game. And, and, um, you know, there's been a few, a few games where we haven't been able to make those plays and, and, and the ones that we have made those plays, um, you know, we've usually had good results. I mean, he's dead on for sure. Like they're so close kind of thing, but nobody really wants to hear that in the end. No, and it's like if I could sit here and 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 lay out numbers where they say Andy Dalton should be benched because he's doing it A B and Z and like clearly not getting it done, I would, but I just they don't they don't exist. <laughs> like he has been good enough for this team to win. He's been a lot better than I thought he was going to be. Me too. Um, I don't know if he's he's not the long-term answer because he can't be because he's not going to be playing that much longer, right? So that's the other question, but the question we went into this asking was is this a good defense and I guess when I'm when I ask that question I mean more like is this a defense that you need to tear down a little bit and rebuild or is it a defense that you just need to add a piece or two to yeah and um you know and just and go for it and I'm really close to saying yeah that's what it is it's this defense is still really good it still has a lot of young pieces it still has a lot of veterans like Cam is still playing at a high level even if the sack numbers aren't there this year you know like he might he might not tie Ricky Jackson this year I thought for sure he was going to tie Ricky Jackson but he hasn't gotten a sack in the last few weeks he still needs two and a half over the last two games so who knows maybe he won't get there and we'll have to go into next season talking about it uh Alvin Kamara finally did tie Marcus Colston it took him five weeks to do it but he did and uh yeah and I, and I kind of look at this like you know like this season has gone so poorly in so many ways but you're still looking at it like you know they could finish eight and nine you look at like like go go look at like the NFL draft order Tell me that the Saints are in way worse shape than a lot of these teams. Like currently at six and nine or worse. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. Eleven teams, including Brother Browns, who you picked. That's that's a third of the league, right? How many teams are at seven and eight? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. So that's 20 teams. 20 of the NFL's 30 teams have a sub 500 record. The Washington is seven, seven, and one. Miami is eight and seven. The Giants are eight, six, and one. The Chargers are nine and six. And so to say like this team is like that far away is kind of ridiculous. Like I get it. Things haven't gone well, but you know, I think this defense is still very good. And it's like you're building on it. You're building on it. Would you have preferred to save that first round pick for this season? so that you could probably draft a quarterback because I think that's the biggest question this team is going to have is who's the starting quarterback. Sure. But, you know, you also need a left tackle. And if you end up getting that out of Trevor Penning and he's a starting left tackle, you're fine with it. But it is still a question. I think the question isn't who's going to be the head coach. The question is who's going to be the quarterback. And right now the answer is Andy Dalton. That's what it's going to be next season unless you, you know, you know this, is a, this is a game against a player who this might be an audition for Gardner Minshew, right? You saw Baker Mayfield earlier in this season. Maybe that's an audition. And he put he's putting on a show in, in LA right now. Maybe he's maybe he's grown up a little bit. Maybe stop headbutting players on the sidelines and stuff. Like, would you feel better with one of those guys in here than Andy Dalton? Stuff yeah. to say. Right. The, no, to answer no, the question I was asking, I think this is a good defense. Yeah, Don't, and going back to all those numbers you put out too, it's really impressive to me, at least. And I it's it of what they've been doing 
with a, a key guy like Marshawn Lattimore out the lineup. They've only gotten better over time without him and managing to survive with that next man up mentality and not having a guy with Marshawn in the lineup and what he does uh, because, you know, I think that the Mario Davis has talked about it in the past as he, he called Marshawn Lattimore the most important piece to this defense. And they've really been finding a way to thrive without him. Yeah. He's the most important piece because you just, it's like, it's like, you know, it's like you set it and forget it. You never have to worry about it. <laughs> yeah, you, know, right. you know, he's going to be there every week. And it's like, it just allows you to lock down one side of the field and just say, okay, we're going to have to figure out the other side. And uh, yeah. And not having him has made a difference. It definitely, I think you win the bucks game with him, at, with him out there. Let's put it that way. Like, if you want to say it's made, it, he, how many games difference does he make a season? I don't know, but At least you definitely you, you win that game with him in there, and that's the that one game will probably have won you to the division if you won it. Ugh. So yeah. there you go. Like that's that's to me that's the wins above replacement right there. Is if that's Marshawn guarding Mike Evans instead of Paulson Adebo, you probably win that game. But yeah, so he'll be back, and a lot of guys will be back. We just need the uh, the flux capacitor, get in the DeLorean, and get in the time machine and fix everything. Hey, yeah, and you say next man up. The only team that I would say has been more next man up this season than the Saints has been the New Orleans Pelicans, who have like not started the same starting lineup twice and are somehow a half game out of the first place. So I, good I, news. I know in, Indiana's no powerhouse, but that was an impressive victory with no Zion, yeah. no B.I., no Herb. It's like, come on. Yeah, they just keep winning games. They just keep winning games. So at least we get to talk about the Pelicans at some point. Once the Saints stop ruining my life and playing football games. No, and then you'll be complaining, oh, how the Pelicans, they were so close and they end up ruining your life. Ba- basketball is so finicky. It just, that fourth quarter is obviously the last four minutes are so key every time. Sorry, I still got UConn. Should be number <laughs> one. Let's go. Championship number five incoming. Well, we got still plenty of football, though, with bowl games and two more Saints games at least. Bring on the Cotton Bowl. All right. that's going to wrap it up for us here on Inside Black and Gold. Steve's got to go hang out with his mom. I got to go take a nap. As you can probably tell by the sound of my voice, because I am not feeling well. Get get that bourbon therapy and go go take a nap. I do have bourbon. Like, Claire went out of town. My fiance went out of town. And so her her Christmas gift to me was just a bottle of bourbon. Because she expects me to just get hammered every night when she's away. Make it with some tea so it's quote-unquote a remedy. There it is. (laughs) All right, y'all. Thanks for listening. Hit that subscribe button. As always... Peace. Later, everyone.